Good morning, church. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 28, 16 to 20. This is found on page 835 in your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home as a gift from us. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community, and we're really glad that you've joined us this morning to worship and to celebrate together. And we just wrapped up last week a series in the book of James, um, kind of exploring what does it mean to have real faith in Jesus. And so that, that wrapped up this week. Uh, next week begins Advent. And so we're really uh, excited about looking into uh, this time of preparation for Christmas that's coming. But this Sunday, we wanted to just pause as a church and reflect on the mission uh, that Jesus has given to us as, as the church, uh, kind of worldwide, uh, but also in particular as, as this particular local church in Kansas City, Christ Community. So I'd invite you just to uh, pause with me now um, to pray as we continue worshiping together through looking at God's word. So I'm gonna pray over us now. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the mission um, that you've given to us, for the authority that you've given Jesus, um, that we know he is in control no matter what, and that he is with us even to the end of the age. So I pray that you would help us to deepen and grow in our confidence in that this morning, his presence with us now. And we pray that you would open our eyes to fresh things and empower us in fresh ways today. It's in Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit who is able to do that. Amen. Well, since the pandemic began, you know, 18 plus months ago now, a lot has changed. I mean, in kind of in an unprecedented uh, way, the amount of change that has happened. I mean, there, there, there really isn't much that has been left unchanged, right? When you think about uh, how, how we shop, it's totally changed, been transformed for so long we couldn't go out to stores and, and then all they adapted to where you have online pickup and delivery and Instacart. And we, before the pandemic, I used to go to, Rachel would make a list and I'd go to the grocery store and, and fill that list. And, and now Instacart just brings our groceries uh, every, every week. It's amazing. It's a great, great service. So how we, how we shop has changed. Um, how we work has changed a lot. For many of us, uh, we never ended up going back to the office or not very much, right? For many of you, I know, I've talked to you. It's like you're working remote or you have the freedom to, to travel and you, you can go and, and work from anywhere remotely or you just have to check in at the office um, in different kinds of, uh, of ways. But remote work has, has changed uh, for all of us. It was already a trend that was accelerated in this time. In fact, I was struck as I was doing a little reading this week on, on what has changed in the pace of change, that the Microsoft uh, CEO was reflecting back on a, a moment early on in the pandemic during the, the kind of the, the shutdown orders. 
and they had 200 million, okay, just think about this. There's like 310 million people in the United States. They had 200 million users join Microsoft Teams in one day during that pandemic moment. And he says, we've seen two years worth of digital transformation in two months. Uh, how, we, how we travel and, and what travel and, and hospitality looks like. I, I got on a plane for the first time in a long time last couple weeks and I was struck by, oh, this is different. How they do the, the beverage service and the snacks is, is all different. And staying in a hotel, it's like you have to ask for them to come into your room and, and refresh it. Uh, and if you're staying, you know, one place I was at, if you're staying for less than three days, we're not going to come in your room at all and do any refreshing. It's like, this is, this is different. This is different than it was the way before. Uh, how we learn has changed, right? There were a lot more remote learning options uh, for, for kids. Um, sometimes good, sometimes not so good, but we all learned with Zoom and WebEx, and there's remote and synchronous and asynchronous learning. All of that has changed so much, and we've all gained a, like a new change in vocabulary, right? We've, we've learned words like vax and COVID and delta and mask up and testing and variant and hydroxychloroquine. Who knew that we would know that word, right? But this is all part of a new set of vocabulary that we've gained a vocabulary of epidemiology that, that none of us even paid attention to before. So much has changed. But what hasn't changed is this. What hasn't changed is who the church is. What hasn't changed is who the church is. And, and sure, the church, both in this season, right, has adapted to new methods, and over the, its history of 2,000 years has made lots of adaptations to its methods, but who the church is has remained the same. I mean, two years ago, 18 months ago, even a year a year, we didn't have cameras in this room. We weren't doing an online service. Now that's a huge part of what we do each week is giving people an opportunity to join us online. We've adapted our methods, but our mission, our core purpose, our identity has not changed. Our world is constantly changing. In the last 18 months, we experienced a, a, a rapid pace of change, but Change is just a constant part of living in this world. But Jesus has given us an unchanging mission for our ever-changing world. And that's really the bottom line takeaway I hope you have from this message this morning, is that Jesus has given this unchanging mission for a world that's constantly changing. And so what is that mission that doesn't change? Well, that's what we want to look at here in Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 28 at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you haven't uh, turned there in one of the few Bibles yet, I encourage you to to do that. You can pull that out and take a look there. You can also, um, if you just go to Google, type in Matthew 28, uh, it'll pull up any number of websites where you can find that and follow along. And and maybe you're here this morning, maybe you came uh, with a family member or a friend uh, and you're kind of still skeptical, though, about the whole church thing or even the claims of Jesus. Uh, maybe you're here because you've been wounded by a church community. And you're kind of looking for a new church home, but you're sort of a little tentative. Because, look, any individual local church is not perfect. And people can often be deeply wounded. And certainly Christ community is not a perfect church. We wouldn't say that. But what I, I hope for you this morning, if that's the place that you're in, that you would hear Jesus' words about what the church ought to be, what the church can be. And, and no one local church perfectly embodies all that, but, but this is Jesus saying, this is what my community, what my people are supposed to be like. And can you be drawn to that, even if particular local church experiences haven't always been the best for you? 
Well, the first thing we see here about what doesn't change is that who's in control doesn't change. When we think about the unchanging mission of the church, one of the things that doesn't change about it, we're gonna see three of them this morning, is that who's in control doesn't change. And, and I want you to notice the tenderness and the power of Jesus as I read a couple of these verses again, because he has, he has mercy, it says, on those who doubt. So again, if you're here this morning and you're doubting, you have questions about the claims of Jesus, wondering about the church, one of the things that Matthew says here is that Jesus has mercy on those who doubt. And, and even as he's assuring these first disciples that he really is the Messiah with all authority that they have been waiting for, he has mercy on their doubts because this is all looking very different than they expected. So if you look at verse 16, Matthew records these words for us. Now, the 11 disciples, and maybe you're pausing, wait a second, I thought there were 12 disciples. And you're right, there were 12 disciples. Um, but this is after Jesus' resurrection, after he was crucified, and, and Judas, the one who betrayed him, is no longer alive. He had taken his own life. And so now there are, there's 11. So now the 11 went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, Jesus says, on heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Uh, not, not some, not most, not authority over Sunday morning, but not Saturday night, not just authority over some of my life, but all of my life, not just over authority over some things, but some spaces, some people, but all authority in heaven and on earth. And that language of heaven and earth, that's the biblical writer's way, the scripture writer's way of talking about the totality of everything that exists. Because if you turn to the very first page of the Bible, the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse one, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is, he created everything that exists, that is. And that's the scope of Jesus' authority. Everything that exists, that has been, that will be, is under his authority. And, and really, in one way, this is one of the most provocative statements of Jesus about who he is as God. Because if I were to get up to you and just say, you know what, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I mean, you're gonna have to conclude one of two things. Either I am evil <laughs> or I'm just insane. Like, Bill, we need to get you some help. Like, let's, let's, let's take you and, 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 and see some psychiatric help for you. But Jesus makes this claim, and, and we have to wrestle with, is he someone who is evil? <laughs> Which the gospel seems to paint a different kind of picture of him. Is he insane? Or is this actually true of him? Of all the passages in scripture, this is one of those ones like, okay, if, if Jesus is only a mere human, then this statement is insane or evil. The only way this is a good news kind of statement is if Jesus actually is truly God and truly human, which is what the gospel writers paint. So again, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's the scope, everything. 
Now, let me give you an example. When I get here to the Brookside building, whether it's during the week to, to work or if I'm the first one here on a Sunday morning, uh, the first thing that I do, uh, if I'm the first one here, is I walk in these doors over here and uh, you know, through those doors and I turn off the alarm. I punch in the code to turn off the alarm. And if I type all that in right and hit enter, the beeping stops and I go on about my day. But if I'm in a hurry and I type the buttons wrong, um, I get uh, a message on the screen that says this. This is a picture. It says, no authority. Please try again. Friends, Jesus never gets that message. There is no space, no realm of life, no aspect of your existence where Jesus steps in and he receives the message, no authority, please try again. He never gets that anywhere. All authority has been given to him. That's the point of verse 18. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means that the one who is in control of our lives and who is in charge of the mission never changes. That he's always, he's always in control. No matter what is happening, he's always in control. Uh, a couple weeks ago, one of those trips I was on, I was visiting Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is our denominational seminary. It's where we recruit our pastoral residents from, and I was there uh, meeting with uh, future residents and encouraging them to apply and that kind of thing. And there, I was meeting with a lot of the faculty as well, and I met with the chair of the New Testament department at Trinity. Her name's Dana Harris. She's one of my favorite faculty members there. And we were just, I was asking, I was like, Dr. Harris, how has this year plus of, of pandemic and higher ed, just how all, how's that been? And, and she said, you know, when we had with my students and around campus, and we've had these conversations about politics and, and race and public health and pandemic, all that, she said, you know, I had students coming from very different points of view and perspectives on all this stuff. And she started saying in all my classes that we have one king and one kingdom. Wherever we are coming from, whatever our natural bents are, we have to remember that we have, there's, there's, in, if you're a Christian, there's one king and there's one kingdom. Whether you're naturally more politically leaning toward the left or the right, whether you're a boomer or a Gen Xer or a millennial or a Gen Z, there's one king and there's one kingdom. I've just been sitting with, with Dana's words quite a bit, thinking, yeah, what, is that, what does that mean for us? There's one king and one kingdom. That will never change. Jesus is, is tender and compassionate, but he is the king. And he doesn't, clearly, he doesn't back off from boldly stating this. Jesus is the rightful king, the best king. So we just have to always be asking the question, how does the one king and his kingdom shape how we are living, not just on Sunday morning, but on, on Monday as well? Are we resting in his authority? Are we surrendering to the fact that he is in control, that we can trust him? Our world, our lives are constantly changing, but who's in control will never change. Uh, but that's not all. Even in the midst of so much change, here's something else that doesn't change. Who the church is for doesn't change. So who the church is for doesn't change. And as we move to what Jesus, the one king with all authority in heaven and earth says next, we encounter that second all. There's three alls in this, in this passage. And as we encounter the, the second all, and that really defines the scope of the mission of the church. So take a look again um, at this passage. We're gonna start reading again in verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, the, this is the assignment that the one king has given us in his kingdom, is to go and to make disciples of all nations. And the next point we're going to look at, we're going to talk more about what does it actually mean to be a disciple and apprentice of Jesus. But what I want to focus on here is the scope of that mission, and that this is for all people. The church's mission is to and for everyone. And the language of all nations here is used throughout Matthew, this gospel, to speak about all different peoples, languages, ethnicities, tribes, and groups. Because Jesus is the one king with all authority. The scope of his mission is to all people because there's not one set of people who has ever existed, language, culture, nation, who isn't someone that Jesus wants to be a part of his family. Because he's the king with all authority, the scope of the mission is to all people. And this is really just a, such a profound thing because when you read the story of the Bible, the big storyline of the scripture, what you find is that early on God creates his humans to be partners with him in, in ruling and caring for and cultivating the earth. But when they rebel against him and they are cast out of the garden, that God chooses one family, the family of Abraham, that he's gonna, makes this promise that somehow through this one family, I'm gonna bring deliverance and blessing and rescue to the whole world. And most of the Old Testament, most of your Bible is actually then the story of that group of people, this nation of Israel who is being used by God even though they're completely uh, failing most of the time. To be the people from which this one king, Jesus, comes, who's the one true king, but when Jesus comes and he is the sort of the fulfillment of all of these expectations, something dramatic happens that no longer do you become a part of God's people by being genealogically related to Abraham, but rather by having spiritual union, being united to Jesus by faith. No longer is membership in God's people traced through genealogical connection to Abraham, but is through spiritual union and allegiance to the king with all authority. Um, a guy named R.T. France, who's kind of a, a Bible scholar, Bible nerd, very, focused very much on the book of Matthew, he says this. He says, this then is the culmination of a theme which we have noted throughout the gospel in which membership in God's people is based not on race, but on relationship with God through his Messiah that our membership in God's people is not based on our, our race or our family identity, our genealogical connection, but on our relationship with God through his Messiah. And what's important to note though is even though that is absolutely true, that we are now a part of this family not based on any kind of genealogical connection to a person, but through our faith in Jesus, that that doesn't flatten our culture. It doesn't eliminate our distinctives as people of different tribes, nations, cultures, languages, part geographic, where, we, where you grew up. All of that is brought into the one kingdom and then is made beautiful as Jesus has set it free. 
So one of the early questions, the big early questions that Christians wrestle with is do you have to adopt the Jewish cultural distinctives to join this family even if you're not a Jew? And this is the book of Acts explains this to us. So you have in your Bible Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. The next book that you encounter in, this, in the Scriptures is the book of Acts, which tells the story of how the local church began. It started as this little group of people that Jesus had discipled, and then how it expands across the Roman world. And one of the big questions there is what do people who are now part of God's family, who aren't ethnically Jewish, what do they have to do to be a part of that family? Do they have to adopt Jewish cultural distinctives of, in particular, dietary rules, uh, be, being come, uh, subjected to circumcision? You do, do those Jewish cultural identity pieces, do you have to adopt those to become a follower of Jesus in this new multi-ethnic family? And the resounding answer in the New Testament is no, you don't. Because it's not about becoming a part of a particular people, but becoming this one big multi-ethnic family that Jesus is beginning. And significantly, when you look to the book of Revelation, which is the final book of the Bible that gives us a glimpse into the heaven reality now that is going to come on earth one day, and you get to chapter seven, you read these words. After this, I looked, this is the apostle John writing these words, I behold I a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Notice Jesus' all authority there. Sits on the throne and to the lamb. Friends, when humans enter fully into God's space, which that's the picture we're getting, these are humans that are, are in, fully in God's presence. He does not erase or neuter our language and cultural distinctions. On the contrary, he sets them free from human corruption and rebellion so that they can be all that he created them to be. Uh, multiple not, tribes and nations and languages and cultures, that was, that was God's idea from the beginning. And it's redeemed in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is why we as a church are in partnership with other Christians in our city and around the world that are different from us, culturally, ethnically, linguistically. Because there is something that our Iranian and Chinese and Rwandan and Kenyan and German brothers and sisters that are black and Latino brothers and sisters, our Bhutanese brothers and sisters in Christ reveal about Jesus that we are deficient in if we are not in relationship with him, that we miss out if we just find ourselves only in spaces of sort of comfortable homogeneity. And again, this has been God's plan from the very beginning to have one really, really big multi-ethnic family from all peoples and all tribes and all languages and cultures. But there's also something important to remember about this passage too, and I, I think sometimes it's easy for us to read this passage like this and sort of just skip over all of the Old Testament and think, oh, like, Jesus is just talking to me as an insider. I need to go to the outsiders. But for most of us here, we are not uh, ethnically Jewish people who were part of that original movement of, of God with Abraham. That we're actually, we're not the insiders who were to go out. That we, we are the outsiders who have been brought into this new family. For every one of us who is here this morning, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is true of you because someone else before you obeyed Jesus' command to go and make disciples. 
that someone at some point in your life, maybe it was, maybe it was your parents, maybe it was a brother or sister, but maybe it was a, a teacher, a friend, someone obeyed what Jesus said, told you about the good news, showed you how to live in the way of Jesus, and brought you in. All of us were outsiders before we were insiders. So it isn't though we have some privileged place as Christians or as the American church. All of us were outsiders who were brought in. All of us who were brought in were previously outside. So the question is, have you been found? Have you been brought in by Jesus, by his family? Do you know who you are? Do you know who you're looking for? So much has changed in our world, and our world is ever-changing. That's actually not a problem. It's actually a beautiful thing in some ways. But we have to remember what will never change is who's in, who's in control, who's in charge of this, this mission. That who the mission is for, that's never gonna change. And then third and finally here, that what the church practices doesn't change. And what I mean by practices is not, is not methods, right? The church across 2,000 years and multiple cultures and language, like we're always adapting our methods. But what I mean by practices is the core ways of following Jesus. So Jesus is, this is where we see this third all, all authority, all nations, and then all commands. So again, let's read starting at verse 18. And, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's that third all, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, and what, what Jesus commanded, I'm putting it largely under the banner, that banner of practices. What Jesus has taught us to practice doesn't change. The disciple-making mission of the church that Jesus called us to is not just to make converts, but to make disciples and to teach them everything that he commanded, all of his practices, all of his ways, all of his instruction. And for the past 32 years at Christ's community, our mission statement has been profoundly shaped by this teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. Our mission statement as a, as a church is that we desire to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ, the one who has all authority. Again, from the very beginning, our goal has not been to attract attenders, but to activate disciples, activate apprentices. Let me say that again. The local church, the mission of the local church is not to attract attenders, but to activate apprentices of Jesus. And this is why we use the language a lot around Christ's community of desiring to be a church for Monday. Not just a church for Sunday, but a church for Monday. Being a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus, a learner of him, means learning to obey all that he taught and everything that he commanded and applying that to all of life. And Jesus commanded and he taught and he modeled a lot, a whole way of life devoted to loving God supremely and loving others sacrificially. As disciples of Jesus, we seek to constantly deepen in our understanding of how the good news of his kingdom, how that shapes our work, our resting, our school, our finances, our relationship, our eating, our drinking, our celebrating, our grieving, our fasting, our, our voting, our shopping, our vacationing, all of it. Again, he has all authority. There's no part of our lives under which he doesn't have something to say, practices to encourage us in the way of wisdom 
in living in the world and carrying out the mission he's given us. And in that way, discipleship to Jesus is more like becoming an Olympic athlete, like that kind of training, rather than taking notes in a class. And I think often it's easy for us in our kind of uh, modern Western educational model to think that, that discipleship to Jesus is about taking classes and filling out workbooks and, and Bible studies, and those are all really important because a huge part of what we, how we grow is by getting the right ideas and knowing the truth. But if we just think, I'm, I'm being a disciple of Jesus, if I just take notes in some classes and listen to some sermons and some podcasts, it's, it's not enough. If you're Simone Biles, you don't just go to the gym for an hour and a half one day a week and expect to be ready to win a gold medal. But that's often, I think, how we sort of approach our relationship and discipleship to Jesus. It's like, well, I'm going to put my faith in him, and then I'll come to church for an hour a week occasionally, and I'll be equipped to follow him. But that's, it's, just, it's just not enough, because we're constantly being formed all the time, whether we want to or not, by everything that we do, the, our patterns, our habits, what we watch, what we eat, who we spend time with, all those things are shaping the people that we become. And are we doing those things on purpose or are we just letting them happen to us? So you think about, again, Simone Biles. I read about some of her training plans. She trains six days a week and often twice a day. And of course there's diet and nutrition and mental health coaching. All of those come in to her becoming the person that she is as this kind of an athlete. But you might be saying, but like that's her full-time job, Bill. Like, are you saying that like, I just need to kind of like quit my job, become a monk or a nun, and just spend all day reading the scriptures, praying the hours, um, you know, chanting, and just that's, that's what it is to be a disciple. I need to kind of leave all this, this work-a-day life behind. No, that's, that's not at all what I'm saying. It means not just that you shape your, it means reshaping your way of thinking, but your ways of living, your habits, your routines, your practices, around Jesus' habits, routines, and practices, but right where you are in life. And maybe this is actually a better metaphor for this than even becoming an, an Olympic athlete. Think about becoming an apprentice of Jesus is more like learning to speak a new language than it is watching a foreign film with subtitles once a week. I know we have a lot of families at uh, our campus who um, go to Academy Lafayette, which is a French language immersion school here in, in the uh, Brookside, Kansas City area. If you want to learn French, you could say, you know what, once a week, I'm going to pick out a French film, I'm going to watch it with English subtitles, and I'm going I'm to try to learn something about French language and culture that way. And if you were to do that, once a week, watch a French film with, with the subtitles on, I mean, you'd probably start to, to listen, you'd probably pick up a few phrases, and you'd learn some things about French culture, um, but you're not going to become a fluent French language speaker by just watching a movie once a week with subtitles on. If you're really going to immerse yourself in learning a language, you've got to work on it every single day. You've got to actually find new people to spend time with, new relationships to develop with it, where you can practice this. That's much more of a picture of what becoming a Christian, becoming a disciple of Jesus, is it's like learning a new language. Whole new ways of thinking, new metaphors, new idioms, new, and, and you, the only way you can become fluent in that language is by engaging with it every day 
And so as a church family, we're, we're trying to develop more and more ways that we can carry what we do on Sunday into Monday and the rest of the week. One of the things we've done is something called the Formed Life. And so you may have seen, we had one of these for uh, the James series. This is our new one for the Advent series that's starting up. This is a formed life. It's called a companion journal. So it actually has something for you to, to work on or think about or do each day of the week that connects with what's happening in the messages on Sunday morning, connects to various spiritual disciplines. But again, this is just the companion journal. Um, actually, if you go to the formed.life, that's a whole website with videos, uh, blogs that all relate to what we're doing and learning together as a church family. It's a way of kind of doing, think of it like language practice throughout the week with your, in your own time with Jesus each day, as well as in your community group or with friends, family. This is one tool that we have helped to try to create, to foster that in some small ways. And also we have to remember here that we, we've baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we're not making disciples of us but disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. And we're not doing that alone either. I love that Jesus gives this commandment, not to individuals. He doesn't pull James aside. He doesn't pull Matthew aside and say, you go do this by yourself. He gathers them together and says, you all go to do this together. I mean, you could translate this passage, therefore go all of you all. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded all of you all to do. It's a command to a group of people, not just to individuals. And I think that the work of sharing the good news, of inviting people to trust Jesus, to become his apprentice, can seem so daunting because we conceive of it as something I do by myself. I go and talk to my neighbor by myself or my coworker by myself. And it's true, you may have one-on-one -on -one conversations that are happening by yourself, but Jesus' design and intent was never that we carry out this mission in, in isolation. This isn't like playing tennis singles. It's much more like a football team where you have a big group of people with different skills and specialties. You have offense and defense and special teams and coaches and trainers, all who are collaborating to bring this mission to completion. And that's how the local church is in making disciples. Not all of us have the same gifts. Not all of us have the same abilities. God has called each of you here to this place at this time to bring the things that you're particularly gifted and skilled at together to make disciples. And one super practical way we're gonna try to, to be better at this together is something we're calling 90 for 9. 90 for 9. And the, the idea is that starting, this is coming in January, but I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about it here because it, it just fits so perfectly um, with Matthew chapter 28, is that starting in January, we're gonna together, like each of us, think about nine people in our lives who we would love to see come to know Jesus or know him more deeply, more fully, and we are gonna commit together to pray for those nine people for 90 days, for 90 seconds each day. And that's actually gonna be part of this whole formed life um, thing in January. You, lots of resources and help on how to do that winsomely, effectively, in ways that aren't weird and awkward and strange. But we wanna know how we can help you in that. And so actually you're gonna get an email later on today uh, that just has a short survey, just asking some questions about what's hard about sharing your faith? What are some of the obstacles you face? What are some of the big questions you have? So that as we're preparing those materials and those, even those sermons for January, we can actually 
be responding to real things that you have named. These are the challenges that I'm facing because we want to do this together. And actually, even during those months, we're going to take and give us 90 seconds in the service during that period of time to pray together for the people that we've been praying for, to share stories of doing this work together. So again, that's coming in January. I just wanted to give you a sneak preview of that right now, of just a practical way, like how can we take a next step, a small next step in making disciples with people who don't yet know and treasure Jesus like we do. So there's one king, one kingdom. Who the church for is for, who's in charge of the mission, what we practice, it all remains constant even in an ever-changing world. But finally, as we close, there's one more thing that never changes, and that's who's with us. I love Jesus' final promise here about what will never change, and that is that his presence will always be with us. Jesus doesn't end with do or go, but the final thing he says is with. I will be with you. I am with you always to the end of the age. And always is, is a translation there of an expression in Greek only used here in the New Testament. It's kind of a unique phrase. And it's it, it just kind of strictly, literally means the whole of every day. Jesus has promised to be with us the whole of every day to the end of all of our days and even to the end of all days, to the new heavens and the new earth. And friends, that means that we can face anything. And recently, psychiatrist Kurt Thompson was with us at Christ Community. He pointed out that every one of us is born from a neurobiological standpoint, looking for someone who is looking for us. The moment that we open our eyes, the moment after we're born, we are immediately looking for someone who is looking for us. And friends, the person that you are looking for, looking for you, ultimately is Jesus. And he is looking for you. He's looking for you more than you are looking for him. And he longs to know you and to invite you into this family and to have you deepen in this family. He has found you and he has freed you to go and find others that they too might be known and set free. And he is with us always, every day as we go. We pray now over us. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would equip us and strengthen us for this mission that we would find life and joy in it. That we would believe that you have not given us that something that is impossible or that is burdensome, but that you've invited us into the very place where we find life with our good king who has all authority. And even now as we celebrate communion together, would we be strengthened in fresh ways knowing that you have invited us not because of anything that we have done, but simply because of your great love for us. Will we experience that love and acceptance in fresh ways as we celebrate communion together? In Jesus' name, amen.